The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, good morning, Lifehouse. How y'all feeling? Hey, y'all, y'all ain't feeling much anything the way that sounds, man. Y'all better step up your game. We got we to gotta go to church this morning. Listen, I am bringing you greetings from Virginia Beach. And it is uh, one of the best full circle moments to actually come back. I, I feel like this is, uh, it's kind of like coming back to your mom's after you go to college. It's always home. The food's always good. The people always love you. But, you know, you got to go back to college, right? Um, but Virginia Beach is bumping. We are uh, on a pursuit to take a city, and it's happening. Uh, we actually, in our first year, we're about, uh, I guess, a, year, a little over a year and a half in our first year, we saw over 100 people come to know Christ, uh, and so we're starting to see kind of a momentum kick in. Uh, we're getting, we're going to two services in September uh, with hopes of uh, freeing up some space in some of our kids' areas um, and really just offering more more opportunities for people to come to church. Uh, we have staffing that's going on, additions all over the place, and um, actually one of our staff is here today. I think she's in here. Ashley Fogel's here. Y'all remember? You guys know Ashley Fogel. She held this. Yeah, she held this place together. Uh, we were all up here last night. For for a wedding uh, of one of our Lifehouse Virginia Beachers that came from Lifehouse in Hagerstown. And uh, so, Ashley, where are you at, Ashley? Raise your hand. Don't be shy. She ain't, she won't do it. I know Ashley. Uh, oh, there she is in the front over here. But Ashley's actually our Life Group's pastor and still a right hand to me, an amazing pastor at the church and uh, has been vital in making this thing uh, come to fruition. But my, my family will be here next service. I have Caden, who's now five, Rylan, who's three, and then we have Makai, who many of y'all haven't met. He was a Lifehouse Virginia Beach uh, romancer. Uh, he he was born there. He's a year old. Um, so we are pumped. Man, God is he's faithful. And I think that this morning we're talking about thin spaces. And I think, uh, strange enough, thin space, uh, when you think of a thin space spiritually, you got this physical world and this spiritual world, right? And I think for a lot of us, we feel like they can be pretty evenly separated depending on the circumstance. But the reality of it is there isn't really a, a thin space may even be a, a too broad of a word for what exists between the spiritual and the physical because those worlds, uh, they coexist. Does this make sense? The space may not be thin. It may not even exist uh, whenever you read through scripture that this spiritual world is more real than the physical world that we can see. And when you start to learn how to live in the spirit, that spiritual world becomes even more real uh, than your physical world in, in some strange ways, but in good ways. Um, so I want to start off with a question. I want this to be a very self-reflective kind of thought, but the, the question I want to start off with this, are we living safe lives? Think about this. Are, are we living safe lives? It's a, <clears throat> it's a concept that you can say, well, no, I make money, I, I'm successful, I do big things, but I, I'm not asking you if you're successful. I'm not asking you uh, what life looks like for you. I'm saying, is your life safe? It doesn't mean you're not going through tough times. Tough times doesn't mean that you're uh, uh, not living safe. Tough times is life, Right? But are we living safe lives? And, and, and I would counter that with saying you can tell by how much reliance on the Holy Spirit you need to get through your day is how I would ask or how I'd be able to gauge whether or not the life we live is safe. Does this make sense to you? We're going to read through a, a, a section of Luke here. But before we do, I want to give you a quick background. Jesus has just kind of made his appearance on the scene. Uh, Jesus is getting ready to do his thing. He went and he did a 40-day fast. He's in the desert. And Satan is tempting him, saying, just give in, eat. I can make these rocks into bread and all these things. And Jesus is saying, no, uh, my time has now come. And so Jesus is now stepping on the scene from the place where we don't really know much about him to now he's getting ready to start his ministry. So people don't know him as anything but Mary and Joseph's son, the brother of James. And they don't know him as this king of kings. 
kings. They don't know him as the Messiah. And you got to understand the culture. These people have been waiting for a Messiah for more than 400 years. So there's this anticipation. All the Old Testament prophets had prophesied about this Messiah. And in Luke chapter 4, uh, I'm gonna, or, yeah, 4 verse 14, I'm going to read you a quick excerpt as to when Jesus came on the scene in his local town. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region, and he taught regularly in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. I love this part when it says, returned, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. This concept that Jesus, when he went away, now that God was releasing him into ministry, he, he now came back to his town, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. And in verse 16, it says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was hand, uh, of the prophet was handed to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see and the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And so he's just reading Scripture. He's just reading, actually, Isaiah 61. He's reading the Old Testament. So in verse 20, it says, he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. And all, now listen, all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then they began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled to this very day. Everyone spoke well of him and was amazed by the gracious words that came from his lips. And how can, how can this be, they asked. Isn't this Joseph's son? Now, the question I would ask is why is it any different when Jesus reads it? Jesus isn't preaching. Jesus isn't up there uh, casting out demons and the blind aren't seeing and the deaf aren't hearing. He stood up in the middle of church and read a scroll that was handed to him. Y'all understand? And when he opened the scroll and read it, just the power of God on his life when he read the scroll was enough to get people to stop and stare intently, meaning their eyes and their focus was fixed on Jesus. And listen, it wasn't because it was just Jesus. And you're thinking, well, Jesus should be enough. I get it. But did you hear their response? Isn't this Joseph's son? So they're not even thinking that this is the king of kings. They're thinking this is Joseph's son. This is that kid that, that, that kicked his ball in our yard. Like this isn't the king of kings. And when they see Jesus, they're looking intently at him. Why? Because there's a power of the Holy Spirit. You might remember a story in the New Testament where Jesus walks into a synagogue, and it talks about a man, and a demon starts manifesting out of a man. And the interesting part about that story is, don't you think that man with the demon inside of him sat in that same synagogue for years? But it wasn't until Jesus walked into the synagogue that the demon started to manifest. Why would that be? Because the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, Satan's not scared of you as a Christian he wants to make sure that you don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit because he knows that's where the source is. Satan's not scared of our mega churches. He's not scared of our small churches. He's not scared of our medium-sized churches. Satan is scared of the power of the Holy Spirit because in that power when you're plugged in is when things happen that no one can explain. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you're saying, well, what is this, Brandon? Well, I'm going to take you back to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus was sitting down talking to his disciples. Now, Jesus had been resurrected from the dead. It was about a 40-day, the, the, there's a, a, a term called Pentecost that you may hear of. We're going to read about it in Acts chapter 2. But the term Pentecost literally just means 50. So Jesus was resurrected. 40 days after he was resurrected, he's having, uh, he, he ascended back into heaven. And then 10 days after Jesus goes back into heaven, we have what we call Pentecost, which the Holy Spirit comes down and people are filled uh, with the baptism and the Holy Spirit comes. Make sense? So this is Jesus telling them in Acts chapter 1, he's already been resurrected. He's sitting around with his disciples, and he's explaining to them what the Holy Spirit's going to do and why, why they need it. In Acts chapter 1, it says, once he was eating with them, and he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Let's skip down to verse 8. 
says, so, so we're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It says, well, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You'll be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so he tells them this is going to happen, and Jesus ascends back into heaven. And that takes us to Acts chapter 2. This is when the Holy Spirit actually comes, and it says, on the day of Pentecost, which means 50, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like uh, flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. And I'm going to read this next section to you, and I want you to pay attention to this. They were bewildered because they're hearing all these languages that these ordinary men, these were fishermen, these weren't, well, a lot of these guys weren't white-collar people. These were blue-collar guys that didn't have uh, any type of intellect or advanced uh, knowledge or education. And they're speaking fluently in other languages. And so these people are thinking, these guys must be drunk. These guys done lost their minds. And so I'm going to read you this excerpt because this next place, it tells you where all these people were from. And it gives you a little bit of idea, even in this time, how widespread and how vast and how powerful the move of the Holy Spirit was. And so in verse 7, it says, they were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee. And yet we hear them speaking our own native languages. Here we are. And these are the, the, the uh, different places. Parthians. It's the Tigris, Tigris River eastward to India. Some of this may not mean anything to you. That's fine. Just hang in there. The Medes, which is modern-day Kurds. Elamites, which is modern-day Iran. People from Mesopotamia between the Tigris and Euphrates. Judea, Jude this is actually a Jewish homeland. Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia. This is modern-day Turkey. Phrygia, Pamphylia, this is districts of Asia Minor. I mean, we're, we're covering the map here in a time where people, they had camels. It wasn't like they were flying on, on U.S. air. It says, Egypt, the areas of Libya around Cyrene, which is northern Africa, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans, this is the island of Crete, southeast of Greece, and Arabs, this is south and east of Jerusalem. And it says, we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood here, they stood here, they're amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. And this is the, this is the if you're taking notes, this is the first point that I want you to write down, is that God sent the Holy Spirit to plead the case of Jesus through us. The Holy Spirit isn't here to be some whack job, some wingbat, some weird thing out in left field. The Holy Spirit is sitting here so that people can't deny that Jesus lives because of what's going on in your life through something supernatural that the space isn't oh so thin, but it's real. Are you all with me? You all looking at me with some blank stares this morning. I'm not sure if you ain't had your coffee or if you hate my guts. But either way, you got to understand this. The Holy Spirit's real, and you have to have him if you're going to be anything for Jesus. It's not an option. If you're living a boring Christian life, I would say it's because you have a boring relationship with Jesus. It's because you have a boring, not, a nonchalant, non-aggressive approach to the power of the Holy Spirit that's available to you in your life. God's not a boring God. We're boring people, right? we got to figure out ways to not be boring. We're an amazing, human, humans are amazing. You have an amazing ability to do amazing things. But when Satan talks you into just being your mundane, in and out, day-to-day, oh-wee-oh, you know, like these little robots walking through life, and you're just smiling. How's everything going? It's going great. What do you mean it's going great? Your dog got hit by a car. You have the flu, and you have nothing in life that you're happy about, and your finances are in the red. How's everything going great? But when you say, no, it ain't going great, but I got the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm walking in an anointing, and I'm not going to be the robot that Satan wants me to be in life, but I'm going to walk under the authority of Jesus Christ with a passion, with an authority, and I'm going to know the King of Kings has called me to do something significant, and the Holy Spirit will plead the case of Jesus through my life in a way that man can't explain, and man won't be able to, and they'll just have to say, he's an ordinary man, but he has been with Jesus. 
Y'all ain't with me yet. That's all right. We're getting there. You ever, you ever have, anybody have kids that you just can't understand what they're saying? All right, well, I have a one-year-old that the other day I was looking for his bottle. He's one. He can't talk. He just moans and yells. And he's sitting in his high chair, and I'm thinking, where in the world is this bottle? And he's going, eh, and he's pointing, and I'm like, stop. Like, I ain't in the mood to be yelled at by my one-year-old, right? I got a five-year-old and a three-year-old that yell at me. I don't need a one-year-old yelling at me. And he's going, eh, and he's getting red in the face, and he's shaking, like anger. And I'm thinking, this kid has got, we got to get him on something. What's wrong with this kid? Just angry at me. And I'm like, bro, you need to chill out. I'm going to whoop that tail right in the middle of this kitchen. Chill out, son. What's the matter with you? And I'm looking through the fridge to try to find his bottle. He's like, ah! I'm like, what's wrong with you, Makai? Good Lord, son. Chill, brother. And I look where he's pointing, and his bottle's laying on the floor. <laughs> he's trying to tell me, dummy, I'm trying to tell you something. I can't talk. I can't communicate the way that you want me to communicate, but I know what I'm trying to say. So listen to me, right? I think this is our relationship with the Holy Spirit a lot of times. He's trying to communicate to us, but we don't like the way he's trying to communicate. We don't prefer his method of communication. And so we keep looking for things when he's trying to show us they're right in front of us. And we're saying, no, I don't like that. That's too hard for me. That's going to be too much of a jump. My wife will never go for it. Listen, fellas, if you lead your home under the authority of Jesus Christ, your wife will go for it. She will submit to your leadership if she knows Jesus Christ. Even if you're crazy, you've done lost your mind. When you're chasing that bottle and you know that it's over there when you're looking in the fridge and the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, and you may not like the method he's talking to you, if you will submit to the king of kings, you will be followed by your family and honored. Uh, there's nothing more uh, chaotic for us in our lives than when we, we don't like the way the Holy Spirit's speaking. Well, I don't like the speaking in tongues. That makes me feel weird. Well, according to scripture, if you feel weird, it's probably because it is weird. Because according to scripture, when you speak in tongues, if you're speaking another language, it says they were doing what? They were singing wonderful praises to God. Speaking in tongues isn't prophesying about Santa Claus. It's talking about the wonderful things that God is. It's exclaiming. It's proclaiming the greatness of our king. It's proclaiming that he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, that he reigns, he's forever, that he's the alpha, the omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's my salvation. He's my peace. He's my friend. He was there when nobody else was there. He tells people, I'm the great I am, and you just tell me I am sent you. I'm going to do supernatural. He's the beginning. He's the end. He is the king, the peace, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, my security. He's Elohim. He is everything that is right and nothing that is wrong. He is Jesus, almighty God, the king of kings. That's what you say when you begin to speak in another language and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, but Satan has convinced us that things are too scary. And so we walk around like a bunch of mannequins without the power of the Holy Spirit. We wonder why we're bored as Christians. There's a spirit that's real, and if you don't have him, you won't make it. If you don't walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will not die a Christian. You say, well, how can you say that's judgmental? No, 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 I'm telling you what Scripture says here in that it's going to require the Holy Spirit to do things greater. And if you don't have the Spirit to do things greater, you can't go to heaven doing less. It's not a matter of a rank or structure. What it's saying is if you don't understand and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, you're denying a part of Christ. It's not saying you don't walk in the gift of, of, uh, uh, of teaching or, or miracles or you're not speaking in tongues. That's not what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm trying to tell you is if you deny the Holy Spirit in your life, you've denied a part of the Trinity. And you're saying, God, I don't want that part. Does this make sense to you? I hope it's not sounding critical. I want this to sound loving, but I want you to understand this. Jesus told people, if you deny me, you've denied the Father. And the reason he said that is because the Jews didn't believe in Jesus, that he was the Messiah, but they believed that God was God. 
And he was saying, it doesn't matter what you believe. If you don't believe in me, you've denied the Father. If you don't walk in the Holy Spirit and believe in him and trust in him, then you've denied the Father. Is this making sense? This is an absolute critical part of our Christianity, y'all. This is, we're religious people. I don't apologize for that. I'm a religious person in love with a, uh, a king, the only king that lives, the only uh, uh, author that has died and raised again. His name is Jesus, and I live for Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is powerful, and he's effective, and he's almighty, and he's all-knowing, and he's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's walking, and he's with me, and he's anointed me, and I'm going to walk into a city that I don't know, and I'm going to proclaim the gospel as a little five-nine white dude shouting, Jesus, 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 not because I'm great or because I can preach or because I can lead, because those things are, are are beside the fact, because there's a lot better leaders, a lot better preachers, and a lot better looking white guys. That part may not be true. But there's a lot better preachers, a lot better leaders. But I'm telling you this, it doesn't require a great leader and a great preacher. It requires somebody that says, I am walking under the influence of a king with the power of the Holy Spirit, and no weapon formed against me will prosper. Satan, this is my city. God has taken it back, and we're going to march forward, and we're going to be aggressive, and we're going to reach people out of the darkness and the depths and out of the holes and out of the cracks and crevices. We're ripping needles out of arms. Families are going to be put back together because the Holy Spirit's power is real. Y'all still ain't with me. All right, we're going to keep going. So Peter, let me tell you this. Peter, Peter was a guy who denied Christ three times. You remember this? In the, in the New Testament, Peter, Jesus Christ, was getting put on the cross, and he said, you're going to deny me three times. Peter says, never me. Three times that night, Peter said, I don't know who he is. The Holy Spirit comes. Peter has this a, a, amazing experience. He's in the upper room. And after he's in the upper room and has this amazing experience, Peter, out of all the disciples, is the one that starts preaching the gospel. Right? Because this is what the Holy Spirit can do. And this is what Peter starts to preach to the people. The same people that he denied Christ in front of, now he has this experience with the Holy Spirit. This is what he preaches in Acts chapter 2, verse 32. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're all witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of the highest honor in heaven. This statement could get Peter killed. This statement is saying, all of you out there, every one of y'all killed the King of Kings and the Messiah. I hope you feel good about yourself. Pharisees, Sadducees, all y'all looking at me that look religious, y'all killed the Messiah, and he lives today. So what he's saying is, you murdered God. That's a statement that'll get you killed. And he said, and the Father, as he had promised, give him the Holy, he's gave us the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see in here today. And then he starts quoting Psalm 110. He says, David himself never sinned into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So he's just quoting scripture. The same as I'm doing right now, preaching out of scripture. Peter's up there just preaching out of scripture. He said, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? They were in a place where this word pierced means to violently prick or stun. Violently. Have you all ever had a, a violent prick of your spirit and you're thinking, uh-oh. Have you ever sat at a stoplight? This is an example. You're thinking about your finances and how you can't afford dinner. And how you're going to have to go home and figure out how to make uh, a miracle out of the pantry. And you're sitting at the stoplight, and you have this aha moment as you're sitting in your 2038 Infinity, fully loaded, 38-inch rims, navigation system, satellite. You can talk to astronauts, like the furthest, most advanced technology you can imagine. And then you have this moment where you violently pricked your stun of, uh-oh, I shouldn't have bought this car. Y'all know what I'm talking about? This $600 a month payment really cuts into my grocery bill. Now, I'm not trying to say you shouldn't buy cars. You shouldn't have nice things. That's not what I'm trying to say. That's a violent prick or a stun in your spirit when you finally hear God. I've had those moments, and they are awful. 
They're great because they're revealing, but they're awful because you realize, uh uh-oh, i got to dig myself out of a hole, right? But you know that God will dig you out that hole. But this is a violent prick where you have this moment of, oh, no, i got to fix this. I can't go on like this. This is going to destroy my life. You all ever had a violent prick or stun moment in your life where you had this realization of, "Uh uh-oh, this wasn't right. How could I have been so wrong for so long? And God's like, you're still my kid, man. I love you. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you. It shows progress because you had the violent prick or stun. If you never have that violent prick or stun in your spirit, then you probably don't know me, right? You're not listening. And so Peter's preaching this gospel, and all these people who were yelling crucify him 50 days earlier are now saying, uh-oh, what do we do? Are we going to die? Are we going to be massacred? What's going to happen? See, the Holy Spirit gives us boldness to do what we couldn't do before. And so Peter, the one who denied Christ because he was scared of the repercussions, is now on a stage preaching. Thousands of people are getting saved, and he's got an authority and a power in his life. And he had the same authority. He could have done it before the Holy Spirit hadn't come, but uh, you think, well, he could have just manned up. He could have, but the Holy Spirit gave him the power. It gave him the ability to, to stand up and do something that he couldn't, have, he couldn't have normally done. You're saying, well, Brandon, how does this pertain to me? How, how do I get the Holy Spirit? Well, Peter tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, it says, Peter replies, because they're saying, what do we do? He says, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You see, Peter's he's not saying you have to be baptized in water. What he's saying is you have to go through the processes. He's trying to tell them your heart has to be willing to do whatever it takes to gain closeness to the Holy Spirit. He's not taking them through logistical, legalistic steps here. He's not saying you have to be baptized. You have to ask Jesus to forgive you. You have to go to church. You have to tithe. You have to make sure that you don't take more cheeses than you're going to eat because if you do, it's a waste of the church funds. He's not trying to say that. What he's trying to say is you need to do these things, and if you do these things, your heart's all in, and God sees your heart, and the Holy Spirit will begin to do things in you. Does this make sense? And so he's just trying to tell them, these are the processes. He says, then you'll receive the gift. In verse 39, this promises to you, your children, and those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. He said, Peter continued preaching for a long time, strongly urging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. You're saying, Brandon, what do I do? Well, it tells us in the Bible that when you repent of your sins and turn to God, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There are other experiences where you say, well, I want to speak in tongues. I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, all these things. Those are other experiences you can have with the Holy Spirit. But if you're saying, I just want the, I want the power of the Holy Spirit, I, I want that in me. Well, the Bible says you repent and you turn from your sins. And the Holy Spirit is the thing that helps make that conversion complete in your life. He's that power that comes in and, he, and he, he comes and he begins to do things in you that only he can do. And he begins to empower you in ways that only he can empower you. Are we living safe lives? It's okay to be comfortable. It's okay to have a nice home and nice cars and to have a good financial plan and to be at a place where you can retire. There's nothing biblically against that. I want you to understand that today. It is okay to be comfortable. Do you all feel me? Just because you're comfortable doesn't mean you're living a safe life. Are you living a safe life spiritually? I remember moving to Virginia Beach in 2014, and my wife and my two children, funny enough, Ashley, who's here, we all moved on the same day, and we knew nobody in the entire city. I had one pastor that I had an acquaintance with. I didn't have one friend. We didn't have one person we knew. And we moved into an apartment that was two bedrooms and a den. I am leaving out the fact that we were living in the oceanfront, so it's not that bad. But it doesn't sound as dramatic, okay? I remember the day after we moved, I told my wife, if I didn't hear God so clearly, I would think we made a bad decision. 
I said, if I didn't hear God so clearly on this is where we're supposed to be, I would think we made a wrong decision. We need to go back to Lifehouse and stay on staff and preach for Patrick when he's gone, lead some life groups, maybe do youth. I don't know. Figure something out. But this isn't what God has. You say, well, why'd you stay? I remember nights where I would get on my knees and I would be in a pr- pray in my prayer language and speak in my other languages to God. And I remember those nights where I had no words to say. My, my, my spirit uttered mysteries, as Paul says. And I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit enter my home, and my wife and I would pray together. And we felt the spiritual warfare in, in the lives of our kids. Caden was going through a lot at the time. He was only three, and he was having nightmares. And there was just this attack. And I remember how dark of a time it was for us in our life. Nobody ever knows this. They're not church planters. They didn't have to go in and forge the way. And it's not saying, well, look at us. No, what I'm trying to tell you is there's a calling on your life, and you will be at a place where it's just you and the Holy Spirit at some point, and you had better know how to hear him. Not or else. It's just it really helps. And we're sitting there and we're praying. And I remember the overwhelming feeling that we've made the worst decision of our life. Everything in me, <coughs> excuse me, everything in me said run. But not God. He said, I- I'm going to expand your territory. You put your tent pegs where you want them. And we're going to go from there. He said, I've got you. I, in fact, even up to the point where we launched, uh, we, we didn't have a venue. And I looked for five months. No school would let us in. Uh, There's a couple venues in the city. There's the, the, the movie theater wanted us to come in, but uh, Oceana Naval Base, it's a crash zone. Uh, stay, so you may not want to go to the movies if there's, uh, you know, a bad pilot in the sky. But there's a, it's a crash zone. And the uh, manager of the theater wanted us to come in. But he said, we won't let you because the Navy won't let us. And we're afraid to have too many people. And if a, a jet were to crash, they would all die. And I'm thinking, this guy's got more faith than I do. He believes we're going to have a lot of people. You know, like, praise God. Like, thank you, Lord, for this, this bit of love. A month out, I was going to bed, and, and God spoke to me, Great Neck Middle School. And I was saying, God, I don't want to be in a middle school. You've done lost your mind. I want to be in a high school. Like, that's where the, the nice stuff is. That's the high line. That's where we do. God said, Great Neck Middle School. And I was going to bed, and I wrote a email to the principal. Hey, I'm not sure. I was just kind of like, it's a month out. At this point, we're meeting on the beach for all I know. I wrote the principal at midnight. I got an email at 8 in the morning. He said, yeah, come by the school. We went by the school. I met their custodian, the most, one of the most amazing people we ever meet. By that day at 2 o'clock, we had approval to use that school. And ever since then, it has been the easiest process ever to work with this principal and the custodian. In fact, the custodian wrote me this morning. His wife's in labor. So he's like, hey, man, so-and-so is going to be there today. I was like, well, bro, I won't be, but I'll tell the team. You know, like, he, he, it's just this amazing relationship. We're in a beautiful school. This school was built four years ago. It looks like a college campus. It's the nicest. The schools in Virginia Beach are massive. So there's like 1,500 kids in this middle school. And so this school is, is beautiful. It's, 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 a lot of you probably have been there. We've seen a lot of you come down to Virginia Beach. So if you have, it's great to see you. If you haven't. Come visit family, all right? Uh, but but it's, this, it's, it's, just a, it's this move of God that I felt in my spirit. And you're saying, well, Brandon, how would you know that? I can tell you this. I was laying in bed as, as much as you're sitting here right now, and I didn't have a clue, but I, I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me about this school that I didn't even know existed, in a place I didn't know existed. And there's people coming from all over. It's in the richest part of Virginia Beach, not the place I thought I would plant. The average home around our school is 730000 I live in the hood. We don't buy homes like that, you know? Like, that's not what we do. But God has a plan, and he's going he's gonna to take his plan, he's going to make it something that only he can do because the Holy Spirit's power is what's running Lifehouse Churches. It's what's running Lifehouse Hagerstown. It's what's running Lifehouse Virginia Beach, and it's, it's what, what God wants your life to be. And you'll see miracles take place that you never imagined. 
First Corinthians is interesting. If we're gonna, I'm going to flip there very quickly. First Corinthians, it's Paul, and he's writing to a church in Corinth. They had a lot. They had a lot of money. They had a lot of status. And they struggled a lot with material things. And Paul was writing to them because they were wanting status with their spiritual gifts. And Paul says, now, dear brothers and sisters, regarding your question about the special abilities the Spirit gives us, I don't want you to misunderstand this. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. And God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other, and it's the one and only spirit who distributes these gifts, and he alone decides which each person should have. And so you may sit here this morning and think, how do I get a spiritual gift? Well, this is the key. Spiritual gifts, they're a sign of availability, not maturity. It's not something that you say, well, I've grown so much in God, and he's done great things. And you know, this is a sign of saying, I just want to be you, God. I want to be used by you. I want to be used in a way that only, that only you can use me. Jesus said something to us in John chapter 14, and I want you to hear this. It says, I tell you the truth. This is the words of Jesus. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even what? What's the word? What's the word? Greater works. You're going to do the same thing I've done, but even greater works because I'm going to the Father. I'm not going to be here with you. In fact, we have more availability to get close to God than the disciples did through Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit. We have an ability to get closer. You might think, well, if I, only, if I only knew God, if I only knew God, things would be different. No, no, Jesus in his physical form isn't going to give us the access the Holy Spirit gives us. And here's my last point. Can you put it up on the screen because the man took my book? Go ahead. <laughs> Y'all are too systematic around here, man. I'm not, we don't run this tight. The Holy Spirit is what enables us to do the greater. My wife and I, last, summer, last year, we weren't in a place to buy a home, I didn't think, and we were talking to a, um, a realtor, and, and we had looked at some really nice homes in Virginia Beach. And there's a, there was this home in the oceanfront that we thought was amazing, but it was in one of the most violent uh, and impoverished neighborhoods of the city. It was, uh, there's a Section 8 housing uh, development that's built, and this, there's a road that goes down, and there's no way out. It's one way in, no way out, and it's all Section 8 housing, but there's five houses along the road when you go into the Section 8 housing, the projects. That house was one of them. So we're looking at all these houses across the city, and, and we go into this house, and, and the, uh, the, the realtor's standing on the doorstep going, it's like, what are you shaking your head for? I'm paying you, man. Shut up. Like, show me the house, right? We go in and look at the house, and the minute I walk to the door, I, I heard the Holy Spirit speak this to me. You are going to be light in the darkness. My wife walks into the house, and she won't even look at me because she's thinking the same thing I'm thinking. And we get in the car, we turn around the parking lot across the street to Section 8 housing. We're driving out, and the Holy Spirit hits us in our car, and we begin weeping. And I'm saying, this is where he's calling us. I know we have to pay a lot for this house, but this is where God is calling us to go. And she said, I know, but I, I, I just I can't do it. We got little kids, and what about gunshots? And there's murders taking place. Somebody was killed in our driveway a year before. At a drive-by. And I'm thinking, I don't know, babe, but God's not called us to come down in this city and build a big church. He's called us to come down this city and reach into the depths of the darkness with the power of the Holy Spirit and watch people walk through deliverance and let the captives be free. And I'm not going to preach something I'm not willing to live. I said, God is on the move. And that day we called our realtor and we said, you got to come over, man. We want to sign this contract. And our realtor comes over and I looked at him and I said, listen, man, this house is going to be ours. I said, I'm telling you now because when we get it, I don't want you to think that something just worked out. He said, well, man, the house has been on the market one day. We got other offers already coming in. I said, look at me. God told me this house is ours. He said, all right, you need to start praying. I said, I don't need to pray. I said, he's already told me. I don't need to pray about it. He's already spoken it to me. 
So my realtor calls me back the next day. He said, there were seven offers on the house, and yours isn't the highest, but they took your offer. And this is the thing. Yeah, yeah, you can give God glory for that. This is the thing. So we moved into this neighborhood. Any given day when they hear the garage door go up, there's kids, tons of kids that run to our house. Uh, my in-laws had moved down from D.C. to help us launch the church, and so we've got the most amazing backyard with helicopters that are fake, and of course I had to say fake because you I don't know why I told you it was fake. But there's helicopters and there's a jungle gym. And out front, we just got a basketball hoop. And there's kids from all over. We bus kids in to our church from that neighborhood. Every Sunday, we go into the projects, into some of the hardest parts of Virginia Beach. We bus these kids in. A week after we started our bus route, a church called us and gave us a bus to bus these kids in. We haven't even had to pay for it. And our bus route is growing. These kids are growing. Their lives are growing. And it's because there's a Holy Spirit that knows what people need more than you need. It's not about me and my wife. It's about a Holy Spirit that says, I need you to be available. I don't need maturity. I need availability. Just do what I'm asking you to do. And this morning as you sit here, he's not asking you to be a professional Christian. He's saying, are you available to eliminate thin space and become the walking, the walking anointed, the walking powerful? Are you available this morning? Are you available? If you're available, I want you to stand to your feet right now. And I want to give you, come on, if you're available and you're saying, I'm available, I want you to lift your hands and I want you to sing this song and I want you to respond to what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. Would you all do that? All over this room, come on, lift your hands right now. You're saying, I'm available. You don't do it with a smug look and a hard heart. You do it with hands lifted high. Come on, church, let's go Lifehouse. Are you available to change this city? Are you available to change this country? Are you available to change Lifehouse and all the surrounding area? Come on, let's chase it for a minute. Oh God, we need you this morning. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.